we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to be very brief tonight, um, which I know for, uh, for guys with a, uh, with a microphone and a, uh, they, there's a tendency to talk a lot. Um, so I've got some good news. I have one whole verse for us tonight. Um, and really, we're just taking some time to remind ourselves of a good and beautiful truth. And really, and that starts with the question, what is the Bible about? Now, for a lot of us, that, that might seem like a silly question because, well, we should, we should know what the Bible's about. But let's stop and think about that. If you grew up in church like I didn't, it's entirely possible that, that you either were taught or caught this idea that the Bible is first and foremost an instruction manual, that, um, that it contains, as, um, as lovers of acronyms have called it, basic instructions before, before leaving earth, or if you're less jaded and cynical, living eternally. Um, perhaps te- you, you've sat under years and years of teaching that's emphasized all the great examples of faith and courage and overcoming adversity, and that gave you the impression that the Bible is a collection of morality tales, something on the same level as Aesop's fables. Or perhaps your experience has mostly been hearing specific verses in isolation, perhaps in context, perhaps not, shared generally to prove a point or to offer encouragement. And as a result, you start to see the Bible as a repository of inspirational sayings, a place to gain a spiritual pick-me-up whenever you're feeling down or discouraged. Now, here's the thing. The Bible does contain rules for living faithfully, and it does provide examples of faithfulness and courage that are meant to inspire us and challenge us. And we should be encouraged by what we read in the Bible, because the Bible is encouraging. But that's not all that the Bible is. Not even primarily what the Bible is. So what is it? What is it about? Well, to find that answer, I want us to turn our attention back to a passage that we actually looked at several months ago. Um, John chapter 5 verses 36 through 40, and like I said, we're only looking at one verse today, which is verse 39. But for, for context, this passage falls in one where Jesus was once again being confronted by and also confronting the religious leaders of, of the Jews who were in some respects the Bible guys of that time. These were the Pharisees. They were incredibly diligent about studying their Bible, which is our Old Testament. They sought to follow God's commands to the letter, even if that meant adding a few letters of their own. But even in their diligence, as they poured over the scriptures, they kept missing something that was really, really important, something that was life-changing that we find in the pages of this book, something that was right in front of them if they had only had the eyes to see. Or maybe it's better to say someone 
who was right in front of them. And when that someone confronted them for their blindness, he turned their world on its head. And he did that with what we read in verse 39. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. So I read that verse for the first time probably about 18 and a half years ago as a very, very, very new Christian. And the first time I read that, I, I didn't get what Jesus was saying. I didn't have any context for it. And then I went and I read it again. And then I read it again. And then I went to Luke 24, 27, where Jesus explained after his resurrection to two disciples who were traveling with him on the road to Emmaus, how all of the Old Testament pointed to him. And so I started to read those passages from the Old Testament that were quoted in the New, the ones that the authors themselves used to re in reference to Jesus. Passages like Isaiah 6, 61, 1 and 2, which we see in Luke chapter 4. Psalm 22, which we see all over the place, um, including in John 19, which we looked at last week. Um, Numbers 21, 4 through 19, which we, which we see in, uh, referenced in John 3, 14 and 15. And so as I was reading all of these things together and seeing and keeping this, this thing that Jesus said in mind, that all scripture testifies to him, it started to click that Jesus wasn't using any kind of hyperbole when he, was, when he was saying this about the scriptures. It was that they actually do. And that he is the connecting thread that runs through every book of the Bible. So if we want to know what the Bible is about, well, in a word, it's about Jesus. But more broadly, the Bible is the story of God's plan to send Jesus to rescue his people from sin. And when I got that, it changed everything about how I read the Bible, both as a new believer and then as, and still as a less new one today. And that's what we need to remember today, right now, in this moment. And we need to be encouraged by. Because here's how that truth changes the way that we read the Bible. First, because the Bible is about Jesus, it, uh, we see the Old Testament is part of a grand story. That this first two-thirds of our Bibles that often we tend to skip over is essential to our faith. That the gospel is not a backup plan that God instituted after everything fell apart when humans sinned and Israel kept messing up again and again and again. Recognizing the Old Testament's place in the gospel story, in this grand story that God has been telling from the, from the very beginning, helps us make sense of this book and that part of this book and see its value 
to us because it's where even as God is there in and before the beginning, as Genesis 1 points us to, Jesus was also there in the beginning with God and was God. He's the word through whom and for whom everything was created. And it's in the Old Testament where the first promise of redemption and restoration is given after the first human sin. And it's where the promise of blessing to all nations through the offspring of one man, an elderly man named Abram and later Abraham was given. It's where faith was tested and where belief was declared righteousness, where God rescued a people from captivity who couldn't save themselves and made them his people, where kingdoms rose and fell and the wise became fools and kings became captive, where even after failure upon failure from generation to generation, God still said to them, I will come. And this understanding of the book even helps us love a book like Leviticus because it helps us to see the depth of Jesus' love for us. Because remember, he fulfilled every command that's in that book. So that should really give us a deeper appreciation of his words on the cross. It is finished. So because of, because of, because the Bible is about Jesus, we see that the Old Testament is part of this grand story. And second, because the Bible is about Jesus, we see that the New Testament is good news and not a new law. Because what happens when we read the Bible like an instruction manual, um, what is, is this? What is good and life-giving becomes bondage to us. And we do that with everything that's good because, honestly, we are, we are chaotic little legalists at heart. Um, even after Jesus saves us, he, we, we fight against that so much. We are law-driven people. We love to make a target for ourselves, even if it's just so that we can know what we're not even going to try to achieve. That's what we do. And that includes, and, and that includes Jesus' declarations of grace as he began the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the Beatitudes, remember, they say, they, they begin, blessed are the. Not do this so you will be blessed. And so we will read a verse, Jesus saying something like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then we'll start worrying over whether or not our, our spirits are poor enough. And we'll look at the fruit of the Spirit in the same way. So instead of reading in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit as it's intended as evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us, so fruit, we look at increased love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and yes, I actually remembered all of those, as a goal to white-knuckle our way toward and a standard to judge others against. And we take the descriptions of the early church that are in Acts 2 and 3 and assume that the believers selling all their possessions and, and sharing all that they had with one another so that there was no need known among them 
we take that as a specific instruction rather than a description of the gospel's good work in their lives. Now, we are to share all that we have with one another, but we don't take, but that, again, that's the fruit of the gospel in someone's life, not something that we can mandate to someone. But even though the New Testament has commands that we're expected to obey, it is bad news for legalists and our legalistic hearts. It is good news for all who are weary and burdened by their sins and the pursuit of righteousness under their own power. Because it is where we witness Christ completing the law for us. And by faith, his righteousness, his completion of the law becomes ours. God gives us grace and we're called to live in response to that grace, not to live in such a way as to attempt to earn it. So because the Bible is about Jesus, the New Testament is good news and not a new law. And finally, because the Bible is about Jesus, that means that we can live hopefully today. So we don't have to live in any kind of fear or doubt over how things are going to turn out despite what everything that is thrown at us is constantly trying to tell us. We are not meant to live in fear of anything because we know how God's plan to rescue and redeem the world ends and it ends in victory. Jesus was crucified and killed for us and he rose from the grave on the third day in victory over sin and death. And Jesus is alive right now. He's seated by the right hand of the Father, holding all things together by the word of his power. And we have a promise to look forward to. Not that just that Jesus is alive and that, we'll, and that when we die, we get to be with him. But that Jesus is going to return here and make a new world, a new heaven and a new earth. And when he returns and when he does this, death will die, sin will be no more, and he is going to wipe every tear from every eye of every single one of us. And the best news of all is, is that he says that he's going to do this soon. Now, his soon is not our soon because God's people have been waiting for him to return for about two, for coming up on 2,000 years now. That means that he's got, he's got some things that he, in, in mind that, that, that he is going to come at just the right time. And when he does, it's going to be wonderful. But while we wait for that soon to become now, we get to live in hope. And we are called to share that hope with the world around us. So because the Bible is about Jesus, the, we see that the Old Testament is part of this grand story. And we see that the New Testament is good news and not a new law. And we can live hopefully right now. And so here's what we need to do. Here's what I would encourage us with. First, let's commit ourselves to diligently studying the scriptures and seeing how scripture testifies about 
Jesus. That if these things that, that we've just talked about are true, that we would read the Bible like they are true. And so that means letting go of our tendency to reduce the Bible to an instruction manual or a collection of morality tales. We want to see and read the Bible the way that Jesus encourages because that's the only way the Bible truly makes sense. Second, let's pray for God's help in that because we can't do that on our own. Our ingrained legalism is always going to push back to turning good news into new laws. And so let's pray and seek God's help to read the Bible the way that he intends and be confident that he will answer yes. And finally, let's encourage one another to live hopefully as people who know how this story ends. And so when we are struggling, when we are weary, we need to come around one another and not just offer general encouragement, but to encourage one another in the hope that we have in Jesus. When we are struggling with sin, we need to encourage one another and correct one another the way that Jesus calls us to in hope of restoration. And we, need, and we need to come around one another to help each other live faithfully, knowing that he will put an end to everything that discourages us or leaves us feeling fearful and uncertain. And that means that if we, if we truly, if we want to live hopefully, we really do need one another. And it's not just us who need one another. Everyone needs this. Everyone, especially out there in a town and over there too, um, a town that, need, that thinks it has everything figured out and is fine, and yet, the lo le yet loneliness is this ec epidemic in our society, especially with people who think they have everything that they need because they don't have the thing that matters most, community, people. And so we live in this world, in this community where people are so broken and fractured, divided and lonely and hopeless. And we have this opportunity to show this divided, lonely and hopeless world and this hope and community something better, something beautiful. A family in the gospel a community built of people from all walks of life, of all backgrounds and perspectives who are united as one people because of the gospel. This is something incredibly rare. It's something good. It's something beautiful. And it is ours in Jesus, the one to whom all scripture testifies and this, is the, and this is what we offer the world today. So let's pray together, and then we will continue to worship. Father, thank you that Jesus helps us to see what the Bible is truly about, that, the, that all Scripture testifies about him 
that Jesus is the key to making sense of the Bible and to living faithfully and living hopefully in a world that where hope is in short supply. And Lord, please help us to help one another to live hopefully and confidently with the hope that is offered in the gospel. This knowledge that Jesus has, has attained victory over sin and death and that he is making all things new. And that, in, and that starts with us here and now. May people see that in us. May people be attracted to that in us. And may you be glorified as more people come to Jesus as a result. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.